Welcome to the Connect Community Podcast, recorded live in Stamford, Connecticut. We're so glad to have you with us today. If you're ever in our area, come see us in person. We hope today's message inspires you and helps you live better. Today is part four uh, of our series Overflow. For those of you who have been with us, you know that we've been talking about living from the inside out. A life that overflows from the Spirit. There are two ways to live. You can live from the outside in. That's taking your cues and your values from the world outside, from the circumstances that you face, from the situations that that come against you. Or you can live from the inside out. And that's the life that God intended for us to live. And that's what we've been talking about. To, to live a life that's from the inside out. One of the main things that happens when you live from the inside out is that your life gains stability. Because it doesn't matter what you face. It doesn't matter what the outer circumstances are. What happens is you have a source that's from within. And from within, you get to live. From within, you get the life principles uh, that, you, that you live by. You get the faith, the joy, and all of that. So we've been talking about these different parts because all of us, we have different parts. It's not just, you're not just one single thing. You have different layers to yourself, right? You have the part that you show at work, the part that you live at home. Hopefully at home, you're your full self. You have the, the part that you show in different scenarios, you know, if you play sports or if you, if you have some kind of social activity. There are different parts that you display but then as you, as you work your way in to uh, the more inner parts of you, you realize that, that, that there is a flow to how these parts are supposed to correlate, how they're supposed to relate to each other. And that's what this series is about. So we started, uh, we started talking about the outermost part, the part that everyone sees, the part that you display at work, the part that, that, that you know, is your performance, your job, your talent. And then we talked about your lifestyle and how your lifestyle influences that outermost part. And then we talked about your environment, how the environment that you choose to be in is, is going to shape your lifestyle, where you put yourself in, the places that you choose to go, that inf- influences your lifestyle. And then last week, we talked about something more personal. We talked about relationships because as you go into these layers, we're working from outside in, it starts to getting, getting really personal. And so last week we talked about relationships, how it affects your environment and everything else. And I shared a more specific area of your relationship, which is how you relate to others and how we're called to fulfill the law, like Christ fulfilled the law. Uh, the law, basically, uh, as we learned last week, is fulfilled by loving others as, as God has loved us. And uh, so today, we're going a layer deeper. And this is a six-week. We're going to get all the way in, all right? But these next two weeks, we're going to talk about two parts of you that they are not as linear and they are more connected than sometimes you realize. We're going to talk about your body in your soul. So today I'm going to talk about the effect of your soul on your body. Next week we're going to talk about the effect of your body on your soul. And then, and then three weeks from now, or three Sundays from now, we're going to talk about uh, your spirit. All right. According to the National Library of Medicine, stress is any intrinsic or extrinsic stimulus that evokes a biological response. In other words, 
it's something internal or something external that affects you physically. Now, this is no secret to any of us, right? There's no secret to us that emotions can affect the body, that your emotions can affect you physically. Right? If you think about someone you love deeply, your heart beats fast a little bit, right? Maybe you're in that young love season. You think about him, you think about her, and you, you see, you're fanning yourself, right? Because, ooh, a look from someone you find really attractive can, can make you blush. Right, honey? <laughs> giving her the blue steel. <laughs> a moment of intense joy. We all had those moments, right? Where you get, you get the belly laugh. And, and your belly hurts because you, you, you laughed so hard. How about when something terrible happens to somebody you love? Have you ever felt like sick to your stomach because you got bad news? And, and bad news that affected somebody you love? Like it affects you physically. Some of you, you feel like throwing up every time the Red Sox beats the Yankees. It's real. Our emotions affect our body. This is nothing new. We know that. There's a correlation between the body and the soul. And there's this word stress that we use so often. And, and, and I think it's important for us to realize what stress is. It's something intrinsic or extrinsic, meaning internal or external, that's immaterial, an emotion, a feeling that affects your body. It actually has an effect, a physiological effect on you. And maybe you've felt stress. Maybe you're stressed right now. You're stressed about Christmas shopping. You got to figure out what you're going to buy for everyone. Is there going to be enough money in the budget? Man, there's uh, those of you guys with big families, God bless you. We'll pray for prosperity over you. Maybe you feel like you're stressed about your kids, their decisions, the decisions they're making, the things that they're navigating, the, 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 what they're facing at school, at home. Maybe you, you feel stressed about your job. You don't know if, how long it's going to last or... You don't know if this is what you want to keep doing. And, and, and there's stress. There's a physical effect. It, it, it affects you emotionally, but also physically. Stress is this general word we use. And, and I think we use it so much that it, sometimes we don't stop to think about how, how incredible, how important, and how profound it is that your emotions can affect you physically. That, that you, can, you can have an effect on your body and your health, how you're, depending on your emotions. Now, various studies have shown that stress can cause functional and structural changes in the hippocampus. Hippocampus is the area of the brain that deals with your memory, especially the connection between short-term short memory and long-term memory. And what they're discovering is that the, more, uh, the, the, the strong scientific support that they, that they have is that stress affects your memory. It, it, it makes you forgetful. And some of you are thinking, I don't need a deep study, fancy scientific study to tell me that, J.D. I just need the key, my keys on a Wednesday. And my keys on a Wednesday tell me that stress makes me forgetful because I can never find them. <laughs> it gets difficult. And, 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 and some of you, you've experienced that. You know, there's other areas that stress affects they, they also uh, found out that stress dramatically decreases your ability to heal. 
And the prevailing attitude uh, between physicians is that people under stress are more likely to have an impaired immune system. You can get sick more frequently when you're stressed. Another thing they found out is that the probability of disease increases following a sudden or major extremely life stressful choice, lifestyle change. So we have all these things that we face in life. We just went through a pandemic three years ago. Feels like yesterday and then it feels like 10 years ago. And you might be going through things right now that might be affecting you. And, and it's important to realize that there is, there's an effect on your body. So what am I saying? That to overflow with health, to have health in your body and your soul, we need a healthy soul. We need to make sure that our soul is healthy. That we're not easily affected by what's going on around us. That we have a, a source and a foundation so that we can be well, what is the word am I looking for? You know what I'm saying? Like for those of you who are listening on the podcast, I'm stomping right now. You're well founded. You're, 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 you have a foundation that's strong, well sustained. Now how did Jesus deal with this? How did Jesus deal with this relationship, this symbiosis between soul and, and body. There's a moment early in Jesus' ministry where you can kind of see that he puts things in order. In the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, it's fascinating because Jesus, Jesus was 100% human. Some of you struggle with the idea of Jesus being God, especially if you're not a church person. You may, may struggle with this idea of Jesus' divinity. Can you just think about his humanity for a moment? The fact that Jesus was 100% human and 100% God, but just his humanity. What kind of human would do the things that he did? What kind of human would make the choices that he made? And that's the, really the fantastic thing about Jesus is that as God, he chose to be us and to face what we face. And so we can glean from Jesus, from, from, from his principles, from his life, because I think there's no doubt if you've read any scripture uh, uh, based on Jesus that he had stress in his life. How did he organize his life? At the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, we get the order in which he submits his body. He puts his body through his soul, his body, and the spirit. The first thing that happens when Jesus is about to begin his ministry is that he gets baptized. So there's a scripture, Matthew 3, 16. It says that as Jesus was getting baptized, immediately he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming on to rest on him. Now I want you to notice this, that the first thing Jesus did when he started his ministry was not to go heal was not to go preach. The first thing he did was to get baptized, which means he submitted his body. He submitted his body to water immersion as a symbol of surrender to God. And then as the Spirit of God rested on him, Scripture says that he, he, he was already full of the Spirit, but the Spirit of God w w was filled him. And so Luke 4, chapter 1 and 4 say this, that Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, Returned from the Jordan and what? And started healing everybody and became, you know, this international sensation because now he's full of the Spirit. No, he was led by the Spirit to the wilderness. For 40 days being tempted by the devil, he ate nothing during those days. And when, he, when they were ended, he was hungry. The devil said to him, 
If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. I want you to picture this. Jesus begins his ministry, and, and the Holy Spirit takes him to the wilderness of Judea. The wilderness of Judea is mountainous. The wilderness of Judea is, is arid. It's dry. It's vast. It's not a friendly place. It gets really hot during the day, really cold at night. And it says that the Spirit immediately drove him to the, the wilderness. Why the wilderness? If he's, if he's going to be tempted by the enemy, why the wilderness? Have any of you been driven to the wilderness to be tempted? There's nothing out there. I would think that it, for those of us, like if, if you go to Las Vegas, that's temptation, right? Atlantic City, whatever your poison is, that's temptation. Why the wilderness? I would think... Jerusalem, Corinth. I think things were happening in Corinth back in those days. You know, that's where it was at. Athens might be a little far, but I'm sure Jesus heard of the Olympics, you know, so he could have run there. Yes, there was Olympics in Jesus' days. Why not Miami? Could have time traveled. <laughs> I think it's because our biggest battles are not external. Your biggest battles are not going to be external. They're going to happen in your soul. Your thoughts of defeat, fear, anxiety, certainly stress, where you begin to wrestle, you begin to question and, 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 and deal with, with deep internal things. See, when the enemy tempted Jesus' body, he didn't tempt him with something he didn't need. Jesus was hungry. He needed bread. And it doesn't seem like bread is anything evil, right? You're hungry, you eat. Yet, Jesus, in that moment, he replied with one of the most quoted sentences he's shared. Man shall not live by bread alone. That's what he says. Man shall not live by bread alone. In other words, there are other non-physical things that can, that, that, that can nourish your body. There are other things that can affect your body that's not food. Your body is not just sustained by food. It's something that we need to grasp. I know that we live life and, and sometimes we think we know this. But I want you to really think about this idea because it can change how you approach everyday life. Some of us, we run on autopilot and we just let things happen and we face things as they come. But when you realize that good nutrition, yes, is important. Exercise, yes, is important. But that there are greater things that can keep your body healthy. Something... Uh, turns on like a light switch turns on so the next few Sundays the next two Sundays specifically we're going to focus on the following idea that a strong soul helps the body and then a strong body also helps the soul and that both are sustained by the spirit all right
Now today I want to share four biblical principles. I want to get practical with you. Four biblical principles that you can, that you can do, things that you can do that will have a positive effect on your body. These are soul things that you can do that will aid your body. All right? Are you with me? Yes. Awesome. First thing is this. Prioritize peace. Peace is really important. I think that one of the greatest gifts you can have, you can receive from God, is His peace. So if you haven't experienced real peace in a long time, if you've been stressed, tired, depressed, pressured, feeling the pressures of this world beyond your limit, I want you to know that God doesn't want you to live this way. It is not God's will for you to live under such conditions. He loves you too much to live your life without fulfillment, without enjoyment, not knowing if you're secure. And that's, that's, that's a weight on your shoulder that you shouldn't be carrying. So choosing to live in peace, just want you to know, choosing to live in peace is not about avoiding challenges. Sometimes we have this mindset that peace means no activity. Peace, mean, peace means inertia. Peace means I shut the world out and I don't want to engage because that's the only way to have peace. That's not peace. Peace doesn't mean you don't take the challenge. Peace doesn't mean you don't take the promotion. Peace doesn't mean you step away from, from an opportunity. It's not about living a low-key life, a low-stress job, low expectations. It's not about cruising so that you don't rock the boat. No, peace is something more powerful than that. In Colossians 3.15, we find this sentence that's really, really key. It says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. This word rule in the original means to be an arbiter, like an umpire. Somebody, something that calls the shot, something that tells you when things are right and things are wrong. And, and the, P, the peace of God does that. It rules your heart it, it, to wage your decision making. It helps you judge and guide your life. Just like a fever or a headache in your body is a way of telling you that something is wrong, when you don't have peace, when there's turmoil in your soul, it's your soul telling that something is not right. It's, it's something off. So it's, it's important to pause and to listen. So I don't know if you're facing challenges today. Are you facing challenges today? If so, do you have the peace that comes from God? I want to encourage you with this one point, practice peace. I have four points for you today. Practice peace. Listen to what Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse 27. He said, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give you. Let your hearts, let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. The peace of Christ removes trouble and fear from our hearts. We're invited to overflow with God's peace from the inside out. And so prioritize peace. Focus on his peace and, 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 and allow God's peace to, to lead you so that you're not living stressed, worried, pacing. God wants you to sleep at night, okay? Sleep peacefully. Awesome. Unless you have a little baby, then I'm sorry. It'll take you a couple years. Second point is this, know who to trust. Trust is essential. And I was actually going to say, uh, I'm going to title this point just trust, but you have to know who to trust. 
Because the reality is this, some of us have struggled with this idea, whether it's even, if it's even wise to trust. Have you ever asked yourself, is it wise to trust? Should I trust? Because some of you, you faced, you faced betrayal because you, you've trusted the wrong people. And if you trust the wrong people, it's unhealthy. If you trust the wrong system, it's unhealthy. But if you trust no one, that's bad too. So what do you do? If you've wrestled with this idea, if you've wrestled with this idea because you've dealt with betrayal, I want you to understand that there's, there's different kinds of trust. See, to trust is to depend. To trust is to be persuaded by. To trust is to lean completely on something. But we have to understand that part of us, part of our trust belongs to people, but all of our trust belongs to God. So there are things that you can't trust people with, ever. No matter how much you love them, and it's not a matter of you dismissing them. It's not a matter of you being suspicious of them. It's just that they can't handle your trust. Let's take marriage, for example, so I can talk about myself <laughs> and my wife without her being, having the ability to respond because I got the mic. <laughs> now, this is going to be good. See, if you begin to put your hopes and your dreams on your spouse, if you begin to put the desire for joy and, God forbid, your happiness on your spouse, the relationship will eventually break under that pressure. See, we're meant to trust the Lord with that. We're meant to trust God and God alone with our future, with our joy, with our happiness. It's a fallacy to trust your wife or your husband to make you happy all the time. See, some of you, you've, you might have heard it on TV, the phrase, the ever-famous phrase, you don't make me happy. Listen, my wife makes me happy. I'm happy with her. But when I'm not happy, I don't blame her. It's not her job to make me happy. And when sometimes you hear stuff like that on TV, which is a fake relationship, I'm just remind you of that. Most of those people can't even hold a relationship. And you, you start thinking, you know, because that's why they, they do that. Your wheels start turning. Yeah, maybe, maybe. Yeah, I'm not happy. Maybe that's the reason why. I'm pretty good. It has to be this other guy over here or this person. It has to be them. What does that mean you don't make me happy? Think about that for a moment. What does it mean you don't make me happy? What kind of burden is that for you to put on somebody else? It's a terrible thing to say. I much better say, you are making me unhappy. That, that, that I can trace back. There's something that you're doing that's making me unhappy. Let's talk about that. Okay, I can have a conversation about that. But you don't make me happy means that every source of happiness that you might have, you're putting on that other person, whether they know it or not. It's impossible. You know, you don't make me happy. It's... it's it's, it's too much trust that it's not meant to be put on the other person. So let me encourage you. Don't put that burden on anyone. And let me show you on the scripture where this is based on. Psalm chapter 3, or Proverbs chapter 3, sorry, verse 5 through 8 from the ESV version says this. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Okay? That's the, it starts there. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And now he begins to tell you 
uh, the other parts. And do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. That's humility. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Now listen to verse 8. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Do you see that? How trusting the Lord affects your body. Refreshment for your bones. Healing to your flesh. It brings you joy. Trust God with all with your whole self. And that brings healing to your body. Trusting people can only go so far. Like I said, not because you ought to be suspicious of people, but because they can't carry the weight of fulfilling your dreams. It's not on them to fulfill your dreams. And then as a general rule, you can think about it this way. Develop mutual trust for the things you share with people. If you're married, that person is the person you share everything with. You can develop mutual trust for the things you share. But trusting God with every, for everything, all, everything else, trusting God for that. See, I trust my wife with our money. She trusts me with our money. It's all in the same pot. We keep it all together. Yeah, okay? But we trust God for provision. Our financial trust, our financial future, our, our faith comes from God. I trust my wife with all of my vulnerabilities. She's awesome. She has my best interests at heart. She trusts me back as well. But I know she has my back. I know she covers me. I know she covers my shortcomings. And I have her best interests at heart as well. So we can trust each other on that. But we trust God for inner healing. We trust God for the things that we need to get better at. We don't, we don't, we don't, we don't claim that. We don't demand that from each other. We go to God for those, those things. I trust her with our kids. When I'm not at the house and she makes decisions, I don't come back and be mad because she made a decision that I wouldn't have made and correct her and say, hey, you should have done this way. If the opposite doesn't happen either. If she goes out of town or she, and I've got the kids, she trusts me with my decisions. And I may do things differently. And we might have a conversation about that. But she trusts me that I'm going to do what I'm going to do. And we love our kids well. I know that she loves our kids. If she's going to take care of them, she knows I love the kids. I'm going to take care of them. But when it comes to our future dreams, do you get this? When it comes to our future dreams, our hopes, the things we want to accomplish, the dreams of our heart, I don't put that pressure on her. She doesn't put that pressure on me. We manage our time. We share it with each other. We talk about what we want to go for, the things that we want to do together, the things that we want to do individually. But we go to God with our hope. We go to God to trust Him for things. Listen, when we felt called to come to Connecticut, it was a strong call. And it was, it was at some point it became clear to me that we were supposed to come from Texas to Connecticut to start this church. God called us. Now, I didn't go to my wife and say, babe, we're going to go to Connecticut. Trust me, I'm going to lead you to great places. Come with me. No, I knew better than that. I said, God, I trust your call. This is a big deal. I trust your word. My wife also trusts you. You can talk to her. <laughs> she can hear from you. And we both trust you. If this is your will, you're going to talk to her. And God gave Alini her own calling to Connecticut. You know, it's obviously combined. We have our, 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 our ministry together. But the picture that she got, what grasped her heart about what we were about to do here, was different than the picture I got. 
They both worked together, but it wasn't the same picture because God has a calling for her here, and he has a calling for me here. Does that make sense? So as in a relationship, a marital relationship is an example for you to apply. Like you might be going in the same direction. You're going to have different experiences. You, you are. And we got to trust with the big things. Third is this. Decide to forgive. Very practical. Forgiveness is a decision. Our minds have been, as of recent, increasingly reshaped. When I say recent, I mean the last hundred years. To be passive when it comes to recovery, when it comes especially to take care of our body. We take, we take, we take more, we pay more attention to prescriptions than we do to lifestyle. And I'm not, medicine and prescription is good. Those, I mean, I'm not discrediting the value of medicine. But I'm just saying it's, it's we shouldn't just rely on that. We should understand that if this connection between soul and, 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 and the body is so deep, we ought to live healthy. And holding on to unforgiveness can really affect you. If we apply this mindset of just, you know, letting outside sources fix like we do for our body, fix what's within, we're going to blame everybody else for the things that we're going through. If we think that we need a Tylenol every time we got a headache, sometimes you might be dehydrated, you need water, you, you know. Sometimes you need to sleep. Sometimes you've been staring at a screen for too long. But if you just pop a pill and you don't change anything, you're going to get a headache again if you don't make the adjustments. And you don't learn how to deal with this relationship between body and soul. The same thing is true when it comes to forgiveness. You know, if, if we just hold on to unforgiveness because we think we're right, then you're going to blame everybody else for the feeling that you're having. You'll blame your therapist, your pastor, please don't blame me, uh, your friend, your parents, because your soul is not healthy. But one of the greatest things that can heal our soul is forgiveness. I can't drive this point strong enough. Forgiveness is crucial. Forgiveness is not about the other person making things right with you. Forgiveness is about releasing the offense and the offender to God. So that he can judge them. If, if they have made peace with you, yeah, then yes, great, fantastic. But you're not always going to get the apology. You're not always going to get people to come and make things right with you. And forgiveness is for the wrongdoing. Forgiveness is when for people are not right. If they make things right, then they repented. And of course you can forgive. But the point of forgiveness is not to show them that they're wrong. Does that make sense? Hebrews chapter 12 verses 14 15 say this. Strive for peace with everyone and for the, and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See that... No one fails to obtain the grace of God, then no root of bitterness, pay attention to that, no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. See, one of the main reasons why people fail to forgive is because bitterness is in their hearts. Bitterness is a deterrent to forgiveness. The moment you allow bitterness in, it's going to be really hard for you to forgive. You have to, you have to, uh, to, to realize that there's bitterness on the inside. And the problem is that it starts with a cause. You feel justified. And you probably are justified. Please, I'm not minimizing what may have happened to you. But something that was said, something that was done that affected you deeply, it happened. And you're probably right in every account. But when the pain comes, 
you might start wondering, why would he do that? Why would she do that? And from this moment, you have a, you have a stinging pain and, and that's affecting you. You'll have two choices. The hard one, to let go and to forgive. Or the one that makes you feel right, which is to embrace the offense and to let it become part of you. To nurse it, to feed it, to make it yours. If you choose the latter, you get to a point where the root of bitterness will grow in your heart. And this is what happens to a lot of us that we, we, we don't realize until it's too late. We start lashing out. Have you ever been there? I've been there. We start lashing out at loved ones. We become abrasive. We want to be tender, but we are abrasive. It's like this, this uh, uh, conflict. You want to be kind, but you are aggressive. You, you have a short fuse, and you don't understand why. And in that moment, you feel like you're at odds with yourself. You may even have inner conversations thinking, man, I'm not like this. Why am I reacting this way? Why, why am I talking to these people this way? Why am I behaving this way? Could it be that's because there's bitterness in your heart? Could it be that's because you haven't forgiven? Could it be that's because you've been dwelling on wrongdoing that has been done to you? See, the life of the Spirit cannot overflow from our soul when we harbor bitterness. It's going to be a blockage. It's going to stop there. And it's important for us to allow forgiveness to get rid of bitterness. So I encourage you, decide to forgive. Decide to forgive. Forgiveness is not about the other person being justified. It's about you being freed from that moment. And, and, and it's, like, it's like a tendon that keeps you connected to that situation. And when you forgive, you cut the cord and you say, that's no longer going to control me anymore. It's important to live in forgiveness. The last point is this. Practice gratitude. I love this season of the year. The, the Thanksgiving season is when we, when we, we focus on being grateful and I've said this here before, I like to drive this home, is that to be grateful is to remember. And so gratitude must be intentionally practiced. Listen to this scripture that we read earlier, uh, Colossians chapter 3, verse 15. It says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Now look at what he says later. To which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. These things go together, but he's just a short sentence. He says, and be thankful. See, he's encouraging us to be thankful, but it's presented as a decision. Something that you got to intentionally practice. Now, so often, especially in our culture, our first reaction is to complain, isn't it? We often just immediately complain. See, the problem is this. When we give in to complaining, many times what we're doing is we're setting up a condition for gratitude. We think, I'm going to be grateful as long as this doesn't happen. I can be grateful as long as this situation is moved out of the way. In other words, he's saying, I can't be grateful until this is resolved, until this remedi is remediated. And the, the mindset is, can be pernicious because it implies that gratitude is a result of satisfaction. Do you understand this? It implies that for you to be grateful, you need to be satisfied. That unless you're satisfied, you can't say thank you. And we see this in customer service a lot. That's not the point of gratitude. See, gratitude becomes conditional when we complain. That's backwards. That's entitlement. I'm not saying that you should have no expectations for the future. I'm not saying you shouldn't have standards. I'm saying that gratitude is a practice that will help you not only emotionally but physically. It's the decision to recognize that you are blessed right now no matter your circumstances. 
It's the decision to recognize that you are blessed right now, no matter what you're facing. That God has blessed you, that he has filled you with good gifts, that you have the ability to flourish right where you are, no matter your circumstances. That it's, it's the ability to understand that you, what you have been afforded right now is by the grace of God. That you have food to eat, you have people to love, you have a roof over your head, you have breath in your lungs, you have the ability to see, to eat, to, to hear, to move, and these things are gifts from God. It's important to be grateful. See, it's so easy to be ungrateful. It's lazy to be ungrateful. Can it be strong and say that? It's easy to find things to complain about. Summer is too hot. Snow is too annoying. I can't believe Rosie let Jack die on that piece of wood. There was clearly room for two people on that door, Rosie. Still mad about that. Been 30 years. Here's the problem. The more you complain, the more negative your outlook becomes. The more you complain, the more you'll find things to complain about. Have you met those people? Oh, man. I don't know about this. Eh, I don't. You tell them good news, they immediately look at the negative. It's people who aren't used to complaining. Let's not be that. Let me encourage you today to intentionally practice gratitude and start with those closest to you, okay? So listen, if you're a student at home, you got to be grateful every day for your parents. you got to tell them thank you every day. I know that they're having youth right now, and it's okay. You can tell them, listen to the pastor's message. Gratitude should be present in your life every day. Ladies, if you're married, show gratitude to your husbands. They vow their lives to you. They would die for you. That's important. Men, if you're married, show gratitude to your wives. Think about this. A beautiful, intelligent, strong woman had a lapse in judgment and decided to volunteer her life to you and to put up with you. It's a blessing. you got to be grateful. Are you kidding? Come on. Some people don't, don't believe you're married. I know they don't believe I'm married. <laughs> I literally let a guy... Uh, I'm walking with, with, with Alini one day, and I, I'm walking in the hallway, and this guy walks up to me. He had already met me. He looked at me, and he says, she's your wife? You're married to her? Shook my hand like that. I was like, all right. I agree. <laughs> Listen, friends, if you want your soul to have a healthy effect on your body, if you want to overflow with the life of God, practice these godly principles. Peace. Now, peace, peace will, will release stress. Like all this stress that you feel, that's what peace will do. It will release it. Trust. Trust will remove all anxiety. Because anxiety is about an uncertain future. Trust will take care of that. Forgiveness. My gosh, so many people live with resentment in their hearts. Forgiveness will take care of that. And then gratitude. And gratitude, you know, if, if, you, if you deal with depression, this is a serious thing. Don't stop to doing what you're doing. You know, if, if you take, med take medication from depression, thank God you have that avenue. It's a serious thing. I've had family members who deal with that. But let me encourage you to include gratitude in your daily confession. Speak it out loud. Get a journal. Write down the things you're grateful for every single day. You'll see the effect on your soul. 
when you begin to notice and focus on things that are good rather than what's negative. That dark cloud is going to move away. And you will find that gratitude to the Lord is refreshing to your bones. I believe that if you put these things to practice, you will live in the overflow. Do you receive it this morning? Amen. Amen. I want to pray for you. Thank you for listening today. If you have a prayer request, a question about faith, or would like to find out more information, visit us at connectcommunity.org. Don't forget to subscribe and share. See you next time.